you are experiencing the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. It is September 11, 2023, and welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty, where we're bringing you the people and the organizations fighting for liberty across the country and in your region. And today we have a special guest with us. Uh, uh, he is the mayor of Lago Vista, Texas, uh, and his name is Ed Tidwell, and we're going to talk to him about sort of his experience uh, uh, in politics and some of what's going on in Texas as well. Uh, but before we get to that, let me introduce you to the rest of our panel and our upper left-hand corner we have leon the word brathwaite last word in liberty he is a retired engineer in the state of california in our lower left-hand corner we have our screaming eagle of freedom tim everett he is a pilot in the state of california in our upper right-hand corner we have the mayor ed tidwell he is with us and he's gonna we're gonna talk to him in just a second and my name is jason McPhee, and i'll be your host today um so uh Mayor Tidwell, uh, we've got you on the show, and I want to, James, maybe uh, our invisible hand, you could bring up the visual here that uh, we have. This is uh, Mayor Ed Tidwell's webpage, and in case you don't know where uh, Lago Vista, Texas is, it's just a little bit uh, sort of uh, northwest of Austin. Um, so, uh, Ed, uh do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, sort of, I guess, how you discovered Liberty and why you decided to run for mayor? Yeah, okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's a, a wonderful day today, 9-11. I don't know. I am going to start off by saying this is a this is a very important day for me because my my real job, I'm a, I'm a paid firefighter, a professional firefighter, so and a retired Marine, uh, spent 26 years in the Marines. Uh, so 9-11-2001 has really impacted my life for the last 22 years. Um, so yeah, today, thanks for having me. Today is a very special day in my life. Uh, as far as, you know, being the mayor, um, uh, yeah, I'm here. It shows I'm the mayor of a city. I just want everybody to know that I'm here as a person today, as just myself. I'm not here representing my city uh, or my city council or my staff or anything else. So um, put that out there. I'm not representing anybody but myself. Uh, so, Mayor, you know, uh, gosh, I guess, you know, I went into the Marine Corps at a young age. But then I didn't really, it wasn't until after 9-11 that I really started getting involved in in the political world and stuff like that. And starting in 2010, um, uh, as when I started running for office, um, believe it or not, the very first thing I ever did was run for governor of the state of Texas as a libertarian. Mm. It, it just so happened that the, it just so happened that the state chairman of the libertarian party uh, was a city councilman here in Lago Vista, uh, Mr. Pat Dixon. And he's the one that encouraged me to, to uh, seek out the Libertarian Party. And that's where I got my start. And I didn't get elected until 2012 at the local level. I served city council for five years, and then I got elected mayor in 2017. And that's what's, uh, that is what's got me here now. I'm up for re-election this November, and I'm ho hopefully we'll win my fourth term. 
Well, Ed, you, you mentioned, you know, having been in the service and how 9-11 made a big impact on your life. And the first thing you did, I guess, when you got out, you decided to run for office. Was there something about being in the service or the events of 9-11 that sort of kind of woke you up to libertarian ideas? Or did you always have those? Well, honestly, I didn't know. I didn't know where my I was always independent. I didn't know where I felt, really. Um, but after 9-11, I got sent to the Pentagon. Uh, I was called in to replace the, the Marines and, and, and seamen that were killed in the plane crash. So that was pretty weird, uh, going there and replacing, doing their job. I spent two years there, uh, you know, just the atmosphere in Washington, D.C., uh, the sniper was going on. Uh, I came home after that. I came home in 03, was home for a year, and then I went to Iraq. Um, I was in Iraq, in Fallujah, Iraq, when Katrina hit the United States and sitting over there and watching everything that was going on on CNN. And I, I just, I, I just really, 04, 05, between 01 and 05, I just really got involved in what was going on and in the political world and I just decided to get involved after that. So how long how, how long were you on active duty Ed? I'm sorry? How long were you on active duty? Uh I spent well see I was I was in the reserves at the time, but I spent uh gosh 37 months deployed for after 9-11 between that, that and 05. Okay. Hmm. Well, yeah, just curious, though, so was there anything in particular that sort of, I, I guess, that you became focused on in politics? Was there some some change you were looking to make? Was there something that was bothering you about the way things were being done? Um, no, I can't really. I No, I can't say there's one specific thing. It just it was, it was just a culmination of, of things. Um so in terms yeah. of okay, in terms of your job as as mayor of of, um, of the city, you are you are a libertarian, and I mean there are all the libertarian ideals out there that that many of us hope that elected officials will follow. How how does the, those principles which guide guide you as say a human being shall we say, how do those principles conflict with? Your job, in the sense that um, politics is the art of um, of compromising. How much compromising do you have to do to get your job done? So, yes, being the mayor of a of a small city, we're at ten thousand people now. So we're we're still small, but we're not too small, and we're right outside of Austin. Um, whole different world of politics there. I have come to realize how I don't know that people don't value it, but how easy people are willing to give up their liberties. Um, at the local level, everybody's paying taxes. I mean, this is where they have the most impact, right? The local level. So they're paying their taxes, they're paying their fees, and they feel like they're entitled to certain things and they have no problem trying to get the city council myself to enact ordinances that take away the liberties of people across the board and they will give up their liberties 
if they think it'll it get, they can control their neighbor. And it is it's become really I, I don't know, it's really weird. I never I never thought this would be something that I would encounter as an elected official. So trying to, you know, present what I feel are our, our constitutional rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, uh, private property rights, um, you know, things like that. And, and then deal with, you know, people that want to control everything, you know, from your grass to your paint to, you know, uh, everything. You know, it's it's been really weird. Well, we, so, we certainly know about that living in California, where <laughs> it's like yes. everything they're doing is is to try and control. And Liam, before you, before you get to that, your uh, next thought, let me just show our viewers sort of a comparison of, of I guess, how Texas is doing on liberty com uh, as far as Cato. Uh, it, we, we like to bring up our, our freedom map uh, uh, that uh, Cato puts out. And um, they actually have Texas ranked 21 overall. Now, that sounds like there's room for improvement, but I mean, you know, compared to California where we're at, <laughs> we're dead near the bottom. So you guys are looking pretty good to us and apparently to a lot of other people who seem to be fleeing the state as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so essentially they, they kind of break it up and they show that, uh, uh, you know, there's certain things like on fiscal liberty, you guys are pretty good. And uh, say on some of the personal liberties, maybe maybe not so much. Maybe that has something to do with people voting to take away <laughs> some of the things you're talking about. But um, it looks like it's uh, heavily Republican um, and uh, the, the senators are both Republican and a lot of the uh, the state uh office holders are also uh, Republican. And it seems like in the, uh, uh, the local house, they have a sort of a, uh, a little bit of an advantage for the Republicans there. So that kind of gives you our viewers a flavor of sort of, uh, I guess, what the politics is like in, in Texas. So uh, go ahead, Leon, uh, with uh, the question you were going to ask uh, on the, on the political front. Yeah. Yeah. Ed, you you you're talking about people giving up their liberties, and I, I find that a very fascinating a very fascinating thing, which we we see a lot of that here in California. So, I mean, based upon the um, the history you have laid out, you were you were mayor during COVID, weren't you not? During COVID, yes. Okay. So, how did how did your city, how did your city, how did your uh, mayor, how did your your council, how did you guys respond to to COVID? in terms of liberties, in terms of the lockdown, in terms of all of those things, how did you guys respond? So luckily we're Northwest of Austin, Northwest Travis County. We have the Lake, Lake Travis, uh, part of the Colorado River system that separates us from pretty much everybody. And so we're, we're, we got ignored and that was a big benefit for us uh, in that when all the mandates came down, they came down from the state and the county level. The county level was the enforcer of all the mandates. Well, they would never come to they would never come out to Lago Vista. So we would we would put up all the mandates on our businesses and stuff like that. I would leave it up to our local businesses to handle the situations as they felt best. Uh, I kept my golf course open. I had to make it walking only, but I kept my golf course open and I tried to keep 
as much open as I could. And we actually thrived during uh, COVID because people could actually come out here, enjoy the lake. They could play golf. They could get outside. And, um, you know, other than going into our grocery store and, our, and, and stuff, we, we were able to kind of just ride it out and, uh, and take care of ourselves. We didn't have a big problem out here. That's yes. that, 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 that's a very remarkable story, given given what we have experienced here in California. So, um, so go ahead, Jason. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, we, we obviously had uh, cases of, of police officers chasing, you know, joggers down beaches, <laughs> you know, going out to grab surfers who were out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if they were worried that they were going to give COVID to dolphins or something. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, uh, it was obviously a different place. And, you know, I, in, course we're, we're seeing some of the you know the fallout from this where it seems like a lot of people are heading to to your state have you guys noticed a big influx of people um to your area via be it either austin or or you know sort of in the outlying areas like where you're at yes yes um i will tell you right now we are definitely in a in a downturn uh, i guess with the economy and everything everything has completely slowed down but there for about three years uh three or four years, we were doing double digit growth. And most people were coming from states that, uh, you know, didn't have, I guess, the liberties that we do have, even though we're at number 21. Um, so I had a lot of people coming from California and a lot of people from New York I actually had probably more people from New York than I did California. Uh, you know, with all the high tech Tesla and Samsung and all those opening up new factories and stuff out here. We, we had a lot of people moving to the Austin area and who wouldn't want to come out and live on the lake, you know? So yes, quite a bit. So, so Liberty is good for growth. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and, uh, that and business recruiting by the, by the state level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Ed, at what point did you determine you were a libertarian? And why? What? How did? What made you know that that's what you were? You know, uh, I again, I really didn't know until I started. Till I decided to run in in '09, and uh, I, I mentioned the Libertarian Party. They actually kind of came to me. Uh, growing up in Texas, I followed along the red line that everybody else did. You know, um, our our Republicans have won every statewide election for what, two, three decades now. Uh, it's, it's very one-sided here. Um, and I was in that line and it wasn't until I started actually campaigning and started going to, um, party meetings and look, you know, things like that, that I started really looking at where I fell in line, uh, politically. And that's when I, that's when I really embraced the libertarian, um, viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah, how do you know what that viewpoint was? Uh, how, were you getting information from um, sides or things like that? Um, well, yeah, it was a bunch of different sources. Uh, you know, because I, I because I didn't know, I had to 
research both or all three sides, um, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian. And so I just started reading and and seeing basically where people, what was said, if you believe this, this is where you fell in. So I kind of followed that. And then I wanted, you know, in my own personal mind, is this how I believe? In the, and if so, then then that's the direction I'm going. And it turned out that a lot of the uh, libertarian um, ideals is, is where I fell in line with personally. And so I've embraced them ever since then. Yeah, you know, Ed, we usually like to ask people this question because it's one of those things where w w when people grow up and especially almost everybody having that common experience of the government run schools, a lot of times the, you know, all solutions are framed as well. If you want a solution, you vote for it and you, you know, you have government enacted or something, you know, where it's sort of a, uh, you know, leaving things to the market is, is kind of a counterintuitive thing. I, I guess, thought for most people. And so, you know, sort of like, how do they get those ideas, right? I mean, it's just always fascinating to hear, you know, how, how different people have run into that. Um, yeah, but, you personal know, experiences, just seeing, talking to people, just, you know, just hitting the ground and talking and working, researching. You know, eventually, I, I developed my own, my own perspective and well, being sort of a pro-liberty mayor, what are some of the things you've done as mayor to try and sort of promote, you know, more, you know, liberty-oriented ideas out there, you know, and it, it maybe, you know, get get more people, I guess, um, excited about liberty? Well, unfortunately, I, I don't get to promote a, a whole lot. I'm more, I spend more of my time trying to defend mm. Um you know what private property rights and are very big you know cuz we're outside of Austin we have developers always wanting to come in and do stuff and the citizens you know they live on their little slice of uh, heaven out here on the lake and they've got hill country views and stuff so they don't want they don't want development so i'm trying to you know defend the private property rights uh, of the developers while also protecting, you know, some of the lit, what they feel are their liberties as current citizens, um, you know, that's that's a big one. Uh, and then uh, beyond that, it's the small scale ordinances. You know, your house has to have so many square feet of rock, and it can only be certain colors, and you can't plant plant this, and you, and it it's all, it, it you know. It's I'm always trying to defend stuff. I, d I never really get to promote stuff. <laughs> but how, how do you how do you um, I mean, if, if you can give me some idea, how do you resolve the, the obvious conflict between the, the citizens who are there and who are in, enjoying some some benefit from the from their from their own property versus versus somebody else's property who who they want to enjoy whatever benefits which may be in conflict of of the benefits that the that the citizens who are already there, how do you resolve the, that that conflict? Because they are both they are both uh, people with with property rights in 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 your in your jurisdiction. How, how do you go about that? Well, y'all did mention a big word earlier, and that was compromise. Um, you know, there's a whole process. Uh, 
whenever somebody comes in and wants to do something or make changes, it's got to go through committee first. We have our committees, building and standards, board of adjustments, planning and zoning. Uh, they go through, they have public hearings, they review everything, and then they make a recommendation to council. And then we also have public hearings. We hear from both sides and we try to, we try to make a compromise, um, you know, to try and help everybody enjoy, um, you know, we have our city slogan out here, a uh, slogan out here is live like you're on vacation. So, <laughs> you know, we, we try to, we try to adhere to that on, on both sides. So if you're going to come in and try and, and develop something, you gotta, you gotta meet that, that lifestyle and you've got to protect the view, the hill country views, um, and lake access and, and things that, you know, the people that are already here, their liberties, or they, they believe are their liberties. Um, you know, they don't own the sky, they don't own the, the lake, but they, they feel like they're entitled to it, you know, so. Um, we, you know, that brings up an interesting point that I was, uh, you know, I heard you touch on a few times about, you know, how the life sort of centers around the lake, it sounds like. And, and you know, a lot of times, you know, as libertarians, you know, we, we think about in sort of absolutes in terms of private property rights. But then there gets to be some of these common resources that are hard to break into private property rights, like the lake, I guess. And so I, I guess, um, you know, that, that, that kind of creates that maybe that challenge, I guess, for a libertarian as far as, uh, you know, where, where maybe maybe there's an acceptable role for government here because we, we can't really break it into private property rights uh, type of thing. So um, sounds like you're, you're living it. <laughs> oh, it's, it's even more complicated than that here, because when our city was created, all the all the little subdivisions that came together to incorporate, they maintained home. Uh, property owner association rights of all waterfront property. So the city actually has no waterfront property and we have no public access to, to the lake in our city. So as our city has grown, I've got, I don't know, 25, 30% of my new community that has no access to parks because they were not in the original property owners association and the older uh, subdivisions won't allow new people to join their association. So I've got a whole set of people that can't even access the lake. Hmm. So that kind totally of restricts the, 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 I guess, who really has rights to the lake then in that sense. So, yeah. Yeah. So the, the lake, the lake itself is public property. Is it not? Yes. They just have to go out into the County to the County parks or, you know, some of the other public, areas outside of my city to, to get access. They can't access it. They just can't do it through city property. You know, it's. it's oh, I see. I see. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's an problem. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things we always like to ask people, too, is what are some of the challenges you faced in in running for office? Uh, you know, we, we decided to run for office. Were there were there financial challenges in running for office and you know, what kind of work did it take in order to, to achieve your goal of becoming a city councilman and then mayor? Uh, well, really, there's not a there wasn't really a financial thing. When I ran for governor, there was a huge financial thing. I mean, they're spending 75, 85 million for that. And I had a few thousand dollars. But on the local level, it's not an issue. Um, typically, you know, we saw we sign a piece of paper that we don't even have to file 
uh, financial reports if we vow to spend under $1,000. So financially, it's not an issue. Uh, communication is the hardest thing. Um, everything falls under social media, but we ha we're restricted by Open Meetings Act and public information on what we can do, especially as a sitting uh, council member. I'm restricted on what I can I can put on social media. So my the you get your communication, your speaking out is what's very, very difficult. I do a lot of door knocking, a lot of walking. I walk hundreds of miles, October, September, October. Yeah. Hmm. Communication. That's it. Yeah. It sounds like you 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 must be fairly popular there because you've you've won re-election a few times now. So uh, I guess uh, is it that people value some of your 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 liberty ideas, or, or are they aware that you're a libertarian? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. Are there other libertarians on your council? Uh, no, not right now. Uh, we've we've had two. Uh, Pat Dixon that I mentioned earlier, and then the the Libertarian nominee for governor in the last two races was a former council member here in Lago Vista. So we actually do have a decent presence in my town, um, okay. but I'm the only one on council at the moment. Got you. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to see. I actually have a a a meeting tonight that's put it put on put on by the Republican Party for the candidate meet the candidates night tonight, and uh, I'll get some some feedback on their their viewpoints tonight. We'll see. I, I actually have two opponents this time. Um, oh, so okay. I don't know. Maybe my popularity is waning. <laughs> <laughs> your, 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 your opponents are Republicans, uh, one Republican, one Democrat, or, 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 or what, what do opponents look like? You know, I, I really, I would say they're Republican just because of where we live. Um, okay. But, you know, your local races are non-denomination, you know, you, you don't have to declare. So you're just a public servant at the local level. There's no parties, no nothing. So unless you tell somebody, you know, nobody knows, you know, I tell, I tell people, you know. You know, for us, the experience that we have as libertarians is we're in a very blue state. So, you know, we're we're kind of pushing in a uh, against some of the, uh, you know, big central planning ideas that uh, some of the people have out here. But what's it like being a libertarian in, in office in a place like Texas where it's mostly Republicans? Do you find yourself pushing back against some of their ideas a bit? Yes. And it's it's a completely different atmosphere because we will pull votes from the Republican Party. So you will get a lot of Democrat support for libertarian candidates, you know, kind of, um, because they know it'll pull votes off of the Republican Party. And then the Republicans push back because they know you will pull some of their votes. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a little different. But, yeah, they you definitely get some pushback from the Republican Party here because they don't want to lose. They've been in charge for decades, you know. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're getting to almost the point in the show where we uh, have to say goodbye to our public access audience. Uh, but if you are out there on public access watching us, uh, the, this conversation is going to continue online. Uh, so uh, go check us out and Spotify, YouTube, uh, 
Facebook um, <clears throat> or uh, Rumble, uh, Knuckleheads of Liberty, and uh, you can find this conversation and uh, many others that we've had with people who are out there pushing the boundaries of, of liberty um, mm-hmm. again across the uh, country and in your region. So we certainly encourage you to go check that out. Okay, well, if you're still with us and you're online, so <laughs> um, but uh, I guess it's, it's about that point in the show then uh, where we, we want to jump into some of the, the topics uh, that are kind of regional to Texas. Um, and uh, although uh, it, it is 9-11, and so we did want to talk a little bit about uh, sort of the impact that 9-11 has had on the country. And in that, uh, I, I think kind of one of the, the, the special moments for libertarians is that there was sort of a viral moment in the 2008 Republican uh, presidential uh, um, debates where uh, Rudolph Giuliani, uh, yes, the Rudolph Giuliani, the one who is the <laughs> advisor to President or former President Trump, uh, and uh, Ron uh, Ron Paul got into it on the debate stage about 9/11, and so um, let's see, I, I have the, uh, the, the there was a story about it here in Fox. Unfortunately, not good pictures, but we do have a video clip, so I might talk just a little bit during the clip because uh, it's it's a couple minutes, so I don't want us to get flagged for. Uh, copying somebody's stuff. But anyways, uh, let's listen to this because I think it's really instructive about sort of the difference between, uh, I guess, being a Republican and being a Libertarian, because sometimes people have a hard time telling the difference. <laughs> so uh, let's, in the let's... Vatican, we're building 14 permanent bases. What would we say here if China was doing this in our country or in the Gulf of Mexico? We would be objecting. We need to look at what we do from the perspective of what would happen if somebody else did it to us. Are you suggesting we invited the 9-11 attacks, sir? I'm, I'm suggesting that we listen to the people who attacked us and the reason they did it. And they are delighted that we're over there because Osama bin Laden has said, I am glad you're over on our sand because we can target you so much easier. They have already now, since that time, have killed 3,400 of our men, and I don't think it was necessary. Wendell, may I make a comment on that? That's really an extraordinary statement. That's an extraordinary statement as someone who lived through the attack of September 11 that we invited the attack because we were attacking Iraq. I don't think I've ever heard that before, and I've heard some pretty absurd explanations for September 11. And I would, I would ask the congressman to withdraw that comment and tell us that he didn't really mean that. Congressman? I believe very sincerely that the, that the CIA is correct when they teach and, and talk about blowback. When we went into uh, Iran in 1953 and installed the Shah, yes, there was blowback. Uh, the reaction to that was the taking of our hostages, and that persists. And if we ignore that, we ignore that at our own risk. That If we think that we can do what we want around the world and not incite hatred, then we, then we have a problem. They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. I mean, what would we think if we were, uh, if other foreign countries were doing that to us? Can I have 30 seconds, please? 
So I, I just thought that video was so instructive because that is for a lot of people what they claim brought them into being libertarians, hearing Ron Paul on that debate stage um, and uh, going at it with Giuliani uh, during that. So uh, about us essentially having a military presence all over the world. And, you know, I, I was wondering, Ed, it, being in the military back then, what, what are your thoughts on that? Did that, you know, I mean, do, do, do you feel like... Uh, we're in way over our heads in a lot of places. Oh, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I definitely agree with uh, Ron Paul there. Uh, as far as being over our head, wow, that's that I don't really know. I do think we are, I guess if you want to say over our heads, if we're spread too thin, then yes, I, I would agree. Uh Trying to be the world power that America has tried to be for so long uh, and being so spread out into every continent, almost every country around the world. Uh, yeah, we are definitely going to be uh, facing blowback. And because whether we're intentionally doing it or not, we are af affecting, you know, their governments and their countries and. And, um, yeah, we, I, I could see it, you know, talking to, uh, on the grounds when I was in Iraq, talking to some of the, the local tribes, people and, and citizens there, um, you know, they were there, they were happy. We were there to protect them in certain, you know, on the, on the ground level. But as far as the political, you know, they didn't want, they didn't want America to be involved in anything in the Middle East at all. So. So, yeah. Ed, so Ed, um, the projection of, of the projection of um, of the U.S. military might. Do you believe on net? That's a good thing or a bad thing? I believe it's only good if, when it comes to defending our our country. Uh, as far as projecting it, um, we have to. There's a thin line. You know, we are part of NATO. Uh, you know, we, we do have our allies that we have to protect. So as, as, as far as projecting our might in defense of our country and uh, our allies and, and stuff like that, I have no problem with that. But if we if we try to project it uh, where it's not wanted, uh, I, I think we're crossing that line there. Yeah, it, it does seem like... Uh... You know, we're just all over the place. I mean, one of the things we've shown in uh, um, some of our, uh, let's see, I was trying to pull up a, a visual here real quick, but I was running into a little bit of an issue. But uh, uh, we, we have this map that we brought up before in some other shows. And uh, maybe, James, you could bring up the map again. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, Al Jazeera had this particular one on, but I'm sure there's a lot of different sites that have something similar but it shows our military footprint all over the world and you know it's it's almost like where don't we have a military presence <laughs> you know it's it's kind of hard to you know uh, uh discuss it in terms of uh of i guess defense when we're all over the place you know it sort of begs the question is it 
you know, uh, have, have we really gone beyond the mission of, of, of defending our borders? But, uh, uh, you know, here they're, they're talking about 750 bases in 80 countries and 173,000 troops deployed in 159 countries. And I got to tell you, I'm shocked to even find out that there are 159 countries. <laughs> so, and, and yet we have people in all of them, it sounds like. But uh, anyways, yeah, yeah, it's just it's, it's kind of breathtaking the the scope of how many people we have and and the type of presence we have around the world so but no one but no one no no there's 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 no country where we are present right now is being forced to take our men to take our military bases nobody's forcing anyone to take our bases so I don't know why would why it would be a it would be a problem with our, our our footprint. I really don't. So Leon, thank you. I was gonna kind of say that myself. Uh, as for if the countries, if those 159 countries have invited us, they've asked us to come in and and provide a military presence. That's you know that's that's one that's another thing. Uh, if, if we're invited, then I'm okay with that. I don't see a problem with that myself either. Uh, but there, you know, we just got to be real careful uh, at crossing that line, whether we're actually wanted there or not. You know, so. Well, I mean, I totally, I totally, Ed, I totally agree with that with, with your statement. And I mean, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we, the U.S., I'm speaking about, haven't done some bad things around the world. But on uh, that, I, yeah. but on that, we are in countries which which have invited us in. I beg to differ. Go ahead. Go ahead. Differ, please. Please. Well, we're libertarians, so of course we're not all going to agree. <laughs> please differ. It's one thing if the government of a, of a country invites another government much stronger and militarily powerful, like the United States, to do uh, their defense for them for free of charge by the – oh, no. Oh, I, hold on subsidized by the uh, taxpaying American public on jobs that that particular government we're going to protect may have uh, a vested interest for the government to become more powerful in that country and uh, you know protecting them from outside influences and so on and so forth. For example, Ukraine and it's rotten to the core um, government inviting the United States after it uh, provided an American uh, uh, connection there and and to protect them uh, and all the corruption and so on and so forth that goes within that whole arrangement since 2014. That I have an issue with. And so it's one thing for the the, the citizens of a country to want the United States to protect them, quite different for the government. It's like us here in California. Oh, the government of California wants to do X. Well, maybe the the public of the citizens of California don't want X, or the citizens of the United States don't particularly want Y, or the, the citizens of um, some other country don't want a particular outcome as a result of American presence there. So we're we are and this comes back to the whole thing uh, that i feel is that the united states military is, is simply the um 
the strong arm of the United States government. And they are being abused unconstitutionally and have been all over the world for decades now, unconstitutionally. That's my position. So you may you may say, well, there's this benefit for this country that invited us and that benefit for, for the government, mainly the government of, of those countries. But uh, it's quite another to say this is in the vested interests of the United States public under the constitutional law that they are supposed to follow. Tim, Tim you know, there's a major flaw in your, in your argument and it's a self-contradiction that you're not really seeing, quite frankly. If you think about it, Okay, look at what happened in the Philippines. In the Philippines, we had a very large military base. I think it was called Subic Bay, if I'm not mistaken. And at some point in time, the, 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 the citizens uh, acting through is the government decided that that was not in the best interest of the Philippines anymore. And, that be, and, the, and the United States had to leave the Philippines. Okay? Every country that we are in this world today Every single country, we are there because the elected officials of those countries, whether they're elected or whether they are dictator, whatever. Yeah, it is, I, I was just going to say, they're not all elected. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I took that back. I, I, took, I took that back. Yeah. I took that back. The, the, the government, the heads, the, the government in those countries are acting in the name of their citizens, even though their citizens may not have the kind of rights that we have here. But if they really wanted to change that, they could have a, have a revolution. But the government is acting in the name of their citizens and inviting us in. I cannot see how that could be wrong. Well, well I guess it, just to play devil's advocate, Leon, what about like shaking hands with Saddam Hussein and handing him weapons to go kill Iranians and suppress his people? Is that necessarily in the name of the interest of the uh, Iraqi people? <laughs> no, wait, wait, Jason, I think I said at the very beginning... I am not saying that the, uh, the United States government are a bunch of patron saints. They are not. They have done some bad things in the world. I will agree with that. But on net, the projection of our power is a good thing for the world. It has to be. Otherwise, people will not be inviting us in. Yeah, and I, would, I, can, I can go both ways. Uh, for, for Tim's point, um, that's, in, in my mind, that's where we've crossed that line. Um, you know, sure, it's one thing to be invited in to a country for, you know, for certain reasons, if we're there to help them, you know, protect themselves or do something like that. But if we become their arm of aggression, then we've crossed that line. Um, True. You know, and then you could, you, you, Jason, you brought up um, the Iraq-Iran conflict. Um, we can look at, at Cuba. I mean, we've got a we've got a we got a base in Cuba. Do you think anybody in Cuba wants us there? Uh, I, we're not even invited into Cuba. Yeah. Um, so again, there's that line that I I I, I mentioned. Well, Ed, Ed, there are no there, there there's there's no doubt that you can you can pick. <clears throat> there are several places in the world where. Um, we could have we could have acted better. We could have done things better. We could have done things differently, or we could have not acted at all. I mean, Iran involved in Mossadegh is is a good example of that. Chile is a very good example of that involving Aliendi. Cuba, you just raised. Sure, 
I would I would concede all of those points to you. But then you look at our overall profile worldwide, and all we see is on net countries inviting us in, and there must be a reason for that. Yeah. I agree. I'm watching Vietnam. You know, oh, we yeah. just we just sure. got some 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 new agreement now. I don't even know all the details on that, but we just entered into some new thing with Vietnam. I mean, yeah, what, we are did, we, yes. what, what are we going to be doing there? Yeah. You well, know? it it begs the question too. When we have thirty two trillion dollars in debt, uh, <laughs> how much can we afford to do that? <laughs> which is which is a very good point, Jason. Which is a very good point. <laughs> this this these invitations that we accept. That's a very good point you're raising, which is different, but it's a good good point. All these invitations that we take all over the world to go into these different places and all these kind of stuff and things like that, could we afford to do it? That's a legitimate question. Well, ultimately, you know, uh, what causes a lot of empires to fall isn't so much that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they necessarily lost right away on the battlefield. It's that they, they sort of decayed from within because, uh, you know, they, they became financially corrupt. <laughs> and I think, you know, certainly you could say when we have 32 trillion and, you know, every citizen essentially break that down. And that's like several hundred thousand dollars per citizen, I believe, uh, that we all owe you know, to that debt. And now, obviously, nobody wants to talk about that, but um, that's, you know, scary stuff because it's, it's sort of like clown world numbers. I mean, I can't imagine that most people even even perceive that they owe a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. I, 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 I think that an important question that Leon uh, brought up has been answered, and Exhibit A is the $32 trillion debt. No, we cannot afford to go wherever we go, whatever we want, for whatever unconstitutional reason we can think of. Now, if one thing, if you're going to go there and protect the, uh, the looming invasion from some foreign country of some country that you think the American public wants to um, keep, uh, you, you know, protect, you know, like it's an American interest to protect some country and, you know, you name it, wherever it might be, uh, which 99% of the time has been demonstrably shown to be false. It's never in the American interest. It's just in the interest of the puppet dictators that the United States government put in place, in power in those, in those places. So, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know where my hypocrisy uh, occurred, where my, uh, what was the word, Leon, that you used? Uh, my myself. Uh, a self-contradictory flow. Self, yeah. So I'm not sure where the contradiction is, but uh, but maybe we can talk about it another time. <laughs> yeah, let, 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 let me introduce, or uh, rather uh, um, insert myself as the peacemaker like the United States in between you two <laughs> so that we can get on to the next topic. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I, I wanted to get uh, uh, Ed's thoughts on a few of these since they're, they're sort of uh, local to Texas. Um, and so uh, one of the things that we've seen over the last uh, two administrations is a sort of a gyration of energy policy. And a lot of this sort of, I think, impacts Texas uh, probably in a, um, a bigger way than a lot of other areas just because, you know, Texas has a lot going on with oil and, and such. But uh, James, maybe you could bring up some of the visuals here. Uh, so, um, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, we saw right away is that um, when Biden came into office is he killed the uh, the Nord, or not the Nord Stream, but the, uh, uh, oh gosh, what, what's XL. the... Uh, 
Yeah, the, the, the one coming to, from Canada, and I, I think it was terminating in Texas. And uh, so so that, uh, you know, was killed right away. And of course, he was making all kinds about, you know, ending all drilling. Um, he's talked about, um, you know, restricting the, uh, the Permian Basin. And it sounds like, you know, Governor Abbott uh, in Texas is giving him a lot of resistance on that. Um, Biden seems to be bouncing all around, actually, on a lot of his claims. He talked about uh, you know, no drilling. Uh, he was going to end all drilling. This is PolitiFact, uh, uh, you know, on federal lands. And then, you know, he's come in and he sort of bounced back and forth like a tennis ball on some of these. I guess whoever he thinks that his audience is, he says different things to them. So I'm not quite sure, uh, you know, um, how it's how all of it's playing out. But certainly he has uh, caused there to be a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and he's he's also drained uh, a lot of our uh, strategic petroleum reserves um, and he has uh, um, and in doing so he's he's oddly a lot of this is in the name of, of uh, I guess protecting the climate and yet we've seen him uh, going around essentially begging other countries like Venezuela and Saudi Arabia to, to pump more oil <laughs> to relieve our shortages. So it's kind of a very incoherent policy uh, that he has. And, and this is just uh, um, uh, something from the, uh, uh, the EIA, the uh, Energy Information Administration, that just kind of shows some long-term trends for uh, oil uh, in, in Texas. And so uh, you can kind of see that uh, around the time of the whole lockdowns and with Biden coming in, things were kind of slowed down. But then it looks like uh, there's been some uh, increasing in in recent years. So, uh, so just curious, what's your sense of all this, Ed? Uh, being in Texas, uh, what, what what does the uh, heavy hand of the federal administration feel like with respect to to I guess oil production there? So, you know, traditionally Texas has been extremely oil rich. Um, you know, every everything. You look at uh, our state universities, the University of Texas and Texas A&M University, the land grant colleges, the reason that they're able to have so much money and so much funding is because of the oil and gas industry in Texas. And so a lot of a lot of the Texas economy, if not most of it, revolves around the oil and gas industry here. And so, you know, our governor is, is trying to protect those rights and our and our state's rights, you know, without trying to get the allow the federal government to dictate to the states what they can and can't do. Um, and uh, I'm not going to say he's right in every situation, but because of our our dependency on oil and gas, uh, protecting that is very vital to the state of Texas. You see, the the the, the problem is that. These lunatics think everything has to be done in the name of climate change. So Joe Biden run around talking about, oh, the, 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 we're going to stop drilling on federal lands. And some of the most prolific basins, uh, uh, oil-producing fields, like the Permian Basin, or some, some of it that is on, is on federal lands. And it does present a real problem for, for people, areas like Texas and some, and some of the other. The San Juan Basin has similar problems to what that's mostly in, in New Mexico. But so, the point, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But the point is, though, 
these all of these things that Joe Biden is trying to do, and I guess the, the, the Democratic left, I should say, is trying to do, is being done in the name of climate change. And this climate change so-called science is not even settled. And they are making policies that are detrimental to the economy of the United States in general. Energy is what drives this economy. Energy drives every economy. And now they're talking about this wind and this solar business is going to is going to save us, is going to take us to this energy utopia. Wind and solar cannot ever replace the energy density of natural gas or oil. It cannot. It's just engineering and physically impossible. And still these lunatics are going ahead in this direction. I don't know how far or what cliff we have to fall off before these people come to their senses. So, and if I, if I, if I may touch on that, we're now facing the, that other, that other side. Um, we're clearing, clearing thousands, tens of thousands of acres for solar farms. So we're taking, we're taking land out of production to do nothing but sit there when, and house these solar arrays. And we saw this, this past August um, with all of the heat and drought mm -hmm. that we're going through here when the when the sun wasn't shining and we weren't getting any heat we were overtaxing our 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 grid again yeah. even with you know we already had problems to start with you, we saw during the winter storm of 21 but uh as we've been trying to expand our grid the wind and solar are not are not keeping up um they they just they just don't they can't. We have we have the same problem here in California, where you, you, they now they are telling us at times they're telling us don't you can't charge an electric vehicle. Well, thank God I don't have an electric vehicle, but you can't charge an electric vehicle because the the grid is being a little bit overtaxed because the wind and the solar that is supposed to replace the, the supposed to replace the um, the oil and natural gas produced energy generated energy, it cannot do it. It can't do the job. But we have to go fall off a cliff before these people come to their realization. I mean, the, the thing is becoming so ridiculous that they were talking about shutting down all the all the um, nuclear power plants and everything here the, um, in, um, in in California. But Diablo Canyon, which is one of our last uh, uh, nuclear power plants, the governor is now talking about, oh, we got to save that one. we got to save that one. Because now they're starting to get a little bit of sense, just just a little. Don't, 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 don't be confused by my statement here. It's just, it's just a little bit. They just stand to see some of the ridiculousness about this wind and solar um, being attached to the grid. It's causing some major instabilities, and nobody and on the left wants to acknowledge it. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is you, you got to have base load, <laughs> yeah, something creating uh, base load power. Um, it can't be just intermittent. And the uh, th this is the crazy thing when you look at what the left has done with their climate hysteria. And I'm not saying there's literally nothing to it. But the idea is if it was nearly as bad as they're saying, which is to say it's an existential threat, then well, hello, this, there's a solution called nuclear that's not an existential threat. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure where the logic fails that if one is an existential threat and one is not, then, you know, I think you got to reach for that. And, and of course, they didn't even want to talk about it, which kind of shows you that the insincerity maybe of their position. So, uh, yeah. Well, Jason, not to, not to, um, not to cause a, a new debate here, which, which was not intended. 
but there is nothing to the climate change argument, okay? There is nothing. It is empty BS. The climate has been changing since the beginning of time. It go up, it go down, it go, it warm and it cool and that kind of stuff. In 1974, look on the cover of Time magazine, April 1974, you're going to see this big article about the, the cooling, the coming of the cooling of the ice age. It's on the cover of Time magazine. Go look at it. And all these idiots want to tell us, well, it's really getting hot. Yeah. This, in case anyone's wondering, this is where Leon and I come into together into agreement. <laughs> yeah. Well, with all this, with all this fire breathing that's going on from Leon on this, I feel like you're going to drive me out of California to Texas, <laughs> which is coincidentally one of the other topics we wanted to talk about is how many people, both domestically and you know, in. Uh, coming from other places in the world seem to be coming through Texas. And um, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier in the show, uh, but I, I wanted to bring up some of the numbers here. So, uh, uh, James, can you bring up a, a visual again? Um, so uh, this is an article that shows uh, – so it's from U.S. News and World Report. It says fastest growing places in the U.S. in 2023-24. And, of course, you see a few of these uh, here are in Texas. And they show uh, Kylene, Texas, which is actually not too far from where you're at. Is it, uh, um, Ed, uh, uh, you guys are uh, – is that just like a, a, a couple hours from uh, – um, Yeah, about, uh, thir- about – it's about 30, 45 minutes uh, north of us. That is where – uh, it used to be Fort Hood. It's now been renamed uh, Fort Cavazos, I guess, is what it's called now. Uh, but that's where the Army base is, is in, in Killeen. Yeah. yeah. And, and, of course, you can see Austin that you guys are really close to over there. It seems like you guys are kind of on the outskirts, and that also is uh, uh, one of the faster-growing places. So, certainly, um, there, there's also some other places here, too. Uh, you know, you can see some places in Florida and um, you know, other places, uh, uh, it seems like everybody's trying to get out of California, New York. <laughs> hey, could it be climate change? I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, so it's certainly the, the, the numbers are, are kind of crazy. And this is uh, actually something from the uh, National Bureau of Economic uh, uh, analysis, I think, and uh, research rather. And they, they kind of show the, oh, they, this is uh, for the uh, California and Florida. This is the one for California and Texas. And so um, it kind of shows the trends in population. And it shows that, you know, uh, uh, you know, Texas is is growing pretty steadily, whereas California, although it had been growing like gangbusters, has, has definitely tapered off in the last decade. And so it, this is one of those things where, you know, maybe we're seeing the philosophies play out. Uh, this is um, based, uh, this one's based on population indices to, to try and correct for, um, you know, differences in some of the numbers. It ties it to 1958. Um, and so you can see that, uh, you know, California really trails off on that one. Um, but anyways, yeah, this is uh, definitely something where a lot of people are coming to Texas. And so is that creating challenges for you guys, Ed? Uh, uh, so many people from places with license plates like California coming to your state? <laughs> well, definitely because of our natural resources. Uh, you know, as far as, far as this, the the room in our job market, you know, we, we've got we've got plenty of room that, you know, companies are moving here. Like I, said, I mentioned, Tesla and Samsung and we've got Dell and 
you know, so we, we've got the jobs that people are seeking. Uh, I, you know, I'm hoping with our universities and and technology that we, we stay at, we stay ahead of, uh, you know, the job market and we we're a viable state as far as providing that. But when it comes to our natural resources, it's getting very taxing, um, you know, our water. Uh, where I live here, I live on a, the lake that I live on, Lake Travis, is a flood control lake. And we're down almost 60 feet right now. Uh, so we're at, we're at about 40% capacity um, because of this drought. Wow. And, you know, who knows, hurricane come, could come through and fill it up. It, you know, it, ta- it only takes about two hurricanes to fill our lake up. But uh, it's, it's really starting to tax our water and our natural resources there because we're, we, we're used to fluctuate up and down a few 10, 20 feet. Now we're doing 40 and 50 feet at times, you know. So, but, I, you know, California, y'all have seen the droughts too. Y'all know what it does yes. to your natural resources. Yes, and 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 Ed, with 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 that, how I mean, you guys are border state, and I mean, you you guys um, right there, the Rio, Rio Grande um, uh, borders your state and, and, and the south. How how also is the illegal uh, migration? How is that uh, affecting you guys down there? Wow, that's that's hard to even even speak on the influx is just, it's just overwhelming um yeah i don't I, I i really can't even talk on that it's it's causing so many problems with our school systems uh with our you know being able to provide health care medical care uh education uh just everything it's 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 amazing. It's I, I don't even know how to speak on that one. It's it's just overwhelming, and unless we get help, uh, you know, with to spread it out throughout the United States, uh, I I don't know how we're gonna maintain. I I have a feeling it it eventually is gonna is really gonna hurt the state of Texas. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, immigration is certainly one of those uh, sort of tough ones for libertarians because I think most of us would like to see people be able to move freely from place to place as long as they're not drawing on involuntarily on the resources of somebody else. But uh, on the other hand, we have this huge social safety net that sort of guarantees that that's kind of what's going to happen if somebody shows up. I uh, hear from another country. I mean, we see, you know, uh, people show up and Biden is handing them cell phones, hotel vouchers, uh, bus, plane tickets and all kinds of things. It's it's kind of like there's a it's like one of those Hollywood gift bags. I think when people get here, <laughs> celebrities almost, it, it just sounds kind of crazy. But um, but it's funny because we, we have this, I guess, this contrasting view of of people uh like where you're at ed where you know you're you're getting the problem right there in your face and these people in a lot of these blue states 
they think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread to have people coming over and and drawing on those resources until it hits them, which is one of the crazy things. And so we actually have a, a, a video of Mayor Eric Adams uh, talking about what it's doing to New York. And of course, he was absolutely fine with this until uh, uh, Mayor Abbott started busing migrants there. And they, they called it a sanctuary city. And they said, uh, nobody shall you know, want for lack of housing here. And, uh, you know, they, quite frankly, they insinuated that people in other states, such as Texas must be racist to not want all these people here. And, and now here, here, here he is in his own words now about what it's doing to his city. 110,000 migrants. We have to feed, clothe, house, educate the children, wash their laundry sheets, give them everything they need, health care. And this team here, we stated, let's do everything possible before we have to push it out into neighborhoods and communities. Month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. Well, we're here. We're here. We're getting no support on this national crisis. And we're receiving no support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. Yeah. So, you know, there he says it in his own words. And of course, before it was like, uh, you know, and by the way, he still vilifies uh, a mayor or rather Governor Abbott for sending busloads of migrants to New York, where they claimed that it was all prosperity and great and that, you know, there was no downside to this. Uh, So, you know, just just curious, uh, Ed, when you hear uh, this reality check now in, in New York, does that how does that make you feel there being a mayor in uh, in Texas? Well, it, it does make you feel a little bit better uh, to use something Leon brought up earlier. There's that cliff. I think we've maybe maybe we're starting to go over that cliff uh, <laughs> when it comes to immigration. Yes. And now some some of the other states are are realizing that they're not getting the help that they need from the federal government. And so as they as they experience it and they start asking for the federal help, maybe it'll it'll come through. Uh, I mean, welcome to our last couple of years. He's talking one hundred and ten thousand. We get that. What? Every month. Every month. You know, we've got millions that are coming through. and if we're only sending so many, I don't even. I guess we're they're all still in the in the housing units down there. I don't know where all these millions of people are going. Um, you know, I, I personally have not been down there to see the operations at the border, um, so I really can't speak on on what it looks like down there. But just when you think of the numbers, you know, how many millions that we're having to deal with without getting a whole lot of federal support. So I, I, you know, in my heart, I do believe there is a way that we could 
handle the situation better. Um, but it's going to take a national effort. And, and until the politicians at that level can, can come together and work something out, you know, it's, we're going to be struggling for a while. And I don't know who's going to be that one to bring it together. Uh, well, Ed, do you see, because uh, I know you, you're not right on the border there. You're a little ways off the border. So do you see the problems of, of people essentially having to live in the streets and other places? Like in, in Chicago, they're literally filling up the airports and other places with and, and New, York, New York too. In, in New York. New York too. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I can't even believe that my parents are just losing their minds there because they're literally housing uh, a lot of these uh, migrants in the schools that their kids are going to. And of course, yes. they don't know anything about the history of these people. They could be, you know, people who were carrying drugs for the cartels or something else. I mean, they have no idea who these people are that are, are being housed right there with their kids going to the schools. So it's uh, just kind of crazy. Yeah. So, uh, in my so in my job as a firefighter, uh, I'm on the streets. And we're two years ago, we were having huge homeless problems. Uh, for some reason, the homeless community from around the United States decided Austin was the place to come. We had open camping, and we were having a we were having huge problems with drugs and 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 that that portion of the community. Well, that has been replaced by uh, the immigrants that have come in. Every street corner uh, that now has people panhandling and stuff right now are all people from other countries. And I, I don't know where exactly they're staying, um, but they're, they have replaced our homeless community on the streets. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, shocking. You know, and I, to me, this is sort of a wake-up call for the, the the Libertarian Party in general because, you know, I know that there's been sort of a debate within the Libertarian Party. You've had the Milton Friedman camp that's sort of like, well, you can't have open borders with a welfare state. But on the other hand, you have some in the Libertarian Party who are like, well, even with a welfare state, they say it's still a net benefit. Well, I think we're seeing <laughs> that challenge when people are literally saying their cities are going to be destroyed <laughs> <laughs> well, not people are saying the mayor of a city. Yeah, the mayor, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, uh, so I, I guess uh, we've, we've uh, pretty much kicked that uh, topic uh, uh, about as much as we can. Um, there is... Uh, I, I guess as, as we get to the end of our show, um, we do have uh, a little bit of the perspective of Joe Biden to share with you as well. Um, he was interviewed by the Weather Channel, of all people, about a, a month ago or so. And um, they, they, they were trying to get out of him, uh, I guess, what are, are some of the, uh, I guess, the justifications for people seeking asylum? Uh, because, you know, Joe has been very, uh, you know, just like with energy, he's fluctuated wildly from where Trump was. Trump wanted to put up a wall. Joe Biden essentially just wanted to uh, take away all the barriers, pretty much. And so he, he was essentially asked, well, is, is you know, extreme weather a reason to migrate? <laughs> and here, here's his answer, uh, you know, among some other rambling. Change knows no borders, right? Everyone's affected by this. Is it the responsibility of the U.S. to protect migrants who might be fleeing extreme weather in their countries? Look, I think the, the United States should do everything it can to help people 
who are in desperate need have no other means of help. And we've always done that. It is not our, it, it is just who we are. We're the United States of America. And the idea to begrudge the ability to, for example, one of the things we're doing is we're providing for changing the environment, the, the, the physical structures in the countries which they come from. So they don't have, so they have better lighting. They have more secure, uh, for example, you have all, so many lead pipes all across America and throughout the country. You have 440,000 schools you turn on the water fountain and you may have lead in the water. So I, I that kind of an incoherent uh, discussion with Joe, but he talked about how, uh, you know, hey, we're we're providing lighting for people in other countries, and yeah, climate change appears to be a reason for them to come here. And uh, by the way, we have a lot of lead pipes in our country that need to be serviced. And so I don't know where he was going with that, but <laughs> but anyways, yeah, clearly he doesn't say. I mean, if if you're going to say extreme weather is a reason to seek asylum here is there any reason that you know can keep somebody from seeking asylum in the united states every, that, that's what open borders produce right every possible reason you could think about every lunatic idea you could think about you 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 will use the to, to, to quote unquote migrate i mean i don't know who was a lunatic in that interview if it was the the reporter who raised the issue of, ext- of migration because of extreme weather or Joe, Biden, or Joe Biden's rambling as a result of the question. This is unbelievable. These people are insane, okay? Why this, this migration is destroying our country? Let's face it, it is. Eric Adams is saying it. And this is a man of the left who wants to believe in sanctuary cities. It is destroying our country. And when is these people gonna realize that, wake up and realize it? Either the so-called intelligent reporter asking this question about fleeing about fleeing uh, extreme weather, or our commander-in-chief who cannot even finish a sentence or thought. We are in real trouble here. Really, we are. Yeah, there is just a ploy to uh, dissuade people to come into the country because of all the lead pipes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we're trying to scare them off. (laughs) That was it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we, we clearly know that there is no such thing as asylum anymore. That that word has it's been bastardized so much. There There is no such thing as asylum. Nobody is seeking asylum. May, well, I don't want to say nobody, mm-hmm. um, but no, they're just seeking a better life. Yeah. And, you know, I believe we can offer that. We just got to do it right. And right now we're not. We're not doing anything as far as I'm as my personal opinion. We're just we're just reacting and dealing with what's thrown in front of us and trying to make the best of it. And we have no policies in place, you know, to, to deal with it. And in, and until the federal government decides to step up and a kind of control the flow not necessarily stop it or prevent it, but you got to control it first and get it to where you can deal with it. Um, it we're, we're still going to have these problems, but it, I, I believe America can handle it if we would just do something besides just talk about it and, and blame each other. And, and, you know, it's your fault and your policies are terrible. And, and at some point we're going to, we're going to go off that cliff and we're going to have to come together to fix it. Well, yeah, hopefully well, at some point. Well, 
Well, I was Go just going to say, hopefully at some point they'll just give Liberty a try because, you know, if they if they just say, hey, look, people can come, but you're not going to get anything. Even uh, what, what, what do you call it? Uh, Larry Sharp talks about this in New York, who's also running for governor there, too, as a libertarian. And, you know, he says that uh, essentially we should have, uh, uh, you know, the, these private placement organizations, I guess, that a, that a migrant would have to go to and make an arrangement with them, I guess, for, you know, finding work and other things like that. Uh, you know, he's always got all these innovative ideas for how to, to get you know, sort of work within government to, to get more towards liberty, I guess. Uh, but, you know, the way we currently have it, it's just, you know, kind of crazy. We have all these incentives for maybe people to come, but they're, they're kind of perverse incentives. And then we wind up with uh, maybe a bigger flow than we might otherwise have. Sorry, Leon, did you have any last thoughts? Well, I was just going to say, you know, you know, I, I, of course, I am an immigrant myself and I have no problem with, immigration. I have none whatsoever. But I have a big problem with people who think they have some right just to walk across our borders. Seriously, I do. Okay? I do not think, I do not think you can just violate the sovereignty of another country without consequences. And this is what is going on right now. This is going to destroy us, quite frankly. And Eric Adams is already saying that. And Eric Adams is a man of the left. Okay? So we, we really have a problem here. And we need some sort of orderly process by which people can come to this land. It took me 16 years to become an American citizen, okay, from the time I first landed here. Okay, and I'm not saying it should take everyone 16 years. Okay, I'm not saying that. But we should have some process by which people can legally migrate or legally enter this land. And if they wish to stay and live here, some orderly process by which they can do so. Not this damn nonsense that's going on at the southern border. No, thank you. <laughs> well, uh, did, did you do you have any final thoughts there on that? Or well, I'm thought I'm thought it out myself. <laughs> oh, sorry, Ed, go ahead. Yeah, Ed, the guest. That's I mean, we we've got topics that we can talk on forever, but just yeah. something that always pops up in my in in my mind. Um, you know, I I don't want to create any kind of social welfare program, but um, it seems like w what happened to the Peace Corps or the Job Corps, something something that could that would you know could tackle this problem head on, uh, whether it's it through Homeland Security, I, you know I don't know where it would go would go, but it it seems like we could bring something in to tackle this problem head on and, and use, uh, you know, private agencies to handle the placement and stuff like that. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a government social program, um, but there, there's gotta be somebody out there that's really focused on the immigration problem and tackling it head on. Well, I guess we'll, we'll leave that issue there. And uh, uh, Ed, before we leave, did you have any final thoughts you wanted to share with the audience just about, you know, uh, uh, you know, being a libertarian there in Texas and, and running for office and uh, any any final words of wisdom for the audience? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's just, you know, you you fight for what you believe in. You know, that's. I see this 
on, on the local level, uh, the social media stuff and the people beating each other up all the time for disagreeing, you know, you, you, you fight for what you believe in. And, you know, I fight for, I fight for Liberty and, uh, that's what I will always do. Um, as long as I can. So. Well, awesome, Ed. I'm, I'm so glad you were able to join us on the show and, and hear that you're going to keep on fighting there for liberty there in Texas. And I would like to thank the audience for joining us as well uh, for another conversation with people out there fighting for liberty around the country and in your neighborhood. And you can find us on uh, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, and Rumble. And uh, until the next time, think about, you know, you, you've been listening to uh, Ed's story. You've heard a lot of other stories on this channel about what people are doing. Think about what you can do in your community to also help fight for liberty because I tell you, we need you now more than ever. So uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, stay tuned and stay free. Yes, indeed. Thank Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite podcast network, and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.